If you're trying to make any kind of meaningful, effective change in your life, you've come to the right place. Good day, ladies and gents. Welcome back to We're Talking Shift. It is good to be back. You may have noticed that, well, it's been a while since an episode has come out. That's because I rather spontaneously decided to take a short break, which evolved into a longer one. Um, Well, to say it was quite wonderful, I just didn't want to stop. That would be an understatement. But uh, hey, sometimes you just got to do your thing, right? So um, to kick off the upcoming Mental Health Awareness Month, we will be talking about this ever important subject because, well, things like anxiety, depression, all the way down the emotional scale to complete despair and suicide has been steadily rising over the past decade and is now more than ever affecting younger and younger people. In fact, I was reading a, a statistic the other day from 2020 that said suicide is the third leading cause of death for young people and the second leading cause for youths aged 10 to 14, which is, I mean, extremely alarming. So we're going to dive into making a mental health shift with my guest today, Sam Eaton. Uh, Sam is an author, a speaker, and the founder of Recklessly Alive, a suicide prevention organization sprinting towards a world with zero deaths by suicide. It's a fantastic mission. Sam has spoken at over 100 events throughout the U.S., sharing his story of battling depression and suicidal thoughts. Sam's first book, Recklessly Alive, What My Suicide Attempt Taught Me About God and Living Life to the Fullest, reached the top 200 best-selling books on Amazon when it was released in January 2021. I read it from cover to cover and is very excellent. I highly recommend it. Uh, Due to his inspiring, empowering messages and his encouragement, Sam's Instagram and TikTok have blown up. So look for him there under the handle at Recklessly Alive. He currently resides in my hometown of Minneapolis, Minnesota, where he enjoys collecting vinyl records. I remember those. Lifting, well, moderately heavy weights and trying every flavor of Oreos. Well, Sam, welcome to We're Talking Shift. Uh, Thanks so much for having me, Lori. I'm so glad you're here. Um, I loved the book and I really, uh, I dig the cover too. It really makes me want to get out and enjoy the lake, uh, which I miss. Absolutely. That's the Boundary Waters up north near Canada, one of my favorite places on the planet. So it was just perfect that that ended up being the cover we chose. Yeah, it's nice. It's peaceful. It conveys um, a message that, uh, you know, you can enjoy life, even just something as simple as paddling your boat across the water. Uh, Sometimes we overcomplicate things, right? And it... It, it can be uh, it can be very peaceful to just be with nature and uh, it seems like a good reset for people. Absolutely. And when you've been through a lot of struggles, you know, one of the good things that can come out of that is you start to appreciate some of those beautiful moments a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why did you write the book um, and why call it Recklessly Alive? So, uh, gosh, eight, nine years ago now, I actually was in Africa. I spent six weeks playing on a worship team, traveling through Africa. That was 18 months after my attempt. So I went from not wanting to be alive. 18 months later, I'm spending my summer on the plains of Africa. 
um, while I'm there staring up at the African stars and I had this dream to write a book. Like, I love writing. I'd been writing a blog at that point. And so I got home, I sat on my deck, I opened a blank word document because I have no idea how do you write a book. Um, and I just, I thought it was going to be this kind of like my blog, these short, funny stories of my life. And, you know, I wanted to be a comedian and that was kind of the tone of the book. And instead, immediately that first day, I sent three hours and it was the story of my suicide attempt that came out, including the phrase recklessly alive. And, and the chapter that I started writing very at the beginning, it's still in the book today, which I love. It's actually the skydiving chapter. Now it happens in the mm-hmm. second half of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I immediately jumped on Google. I was like looking, had anyone ever used that phrase before? And it kind of all just came together. It perfectly described what I felt about not wanting to be alive. And then the steps after of, okay, I, I don't want to die, but I also want to chase a life that, that I want to live. Mm-hmm. I like that. So just for a little bit of background, um, what was your youth like your childhood? Cause I think that, you know, it's easy for people that don't have, um, haven't had any life experience with what the challenges, like what you went through or other people, uh, it's easy to make assumptions like, oh, they must've, you know, been through lots of trauma and, you know, and it, and just never got healed. And it just kind of snowballed from there. Was that the case with you or was it something more subtle? You know, it's kind of a combination of those things. Um, I went through some very challenging things as a kid. Plenty of people have been through more horrific things. Um, But yeah, my childhood had plenty of challenges. My dad was an alcoholic. Um, As a result of that disease, he just caused a lot of pain in all of our lives. Um, When I would come home from school, I never really knew if it was going to be like a happy, jokey kind of a drunk day or like a chair throwing kind of a day. Um, And so my home life was pretty tumultuous overall. Um, I was the peacekeeper of the family. I was like constantly trying to read the room. Okay, if I just do the dishes, then this won't explode and this won't happen. Um, And I held it, I held it together. I mean, even through middle school, I had straight A's. I was on the basketball team. Uh, My dad left when I was 12. He took off. I actually haven't seen him since. I don't have a relationship with him. Uh, And and things for the first time, I remember walking in, after school and uh, I just, it was quiet and peaceful. And it was just this, for the first time in my life, I can remember just feeling ah, this deep exhale. I can still, I can still picture it. Um, Hmm. But as I got into high school, you know, for the first time in my life, I started struggling age 14, 15. I quit the sports I've been playing. I really started isolating myself. I hid in video games and and that sort of thing. Uh, I struggled in school for the first time. I'd always been one of the smart kids and suddenly I had C's and D's and I couldn't focus. I couldn't concentrate. Um, and I felt stupid. I used to write on my papers over and over again. I hate my life. I hate my life. Nobody really noticed. I right. didn't seek help. Um, but I mean, ultimately I didn't know that what I was experiencing has a name. It's called depression. It's quite common. One in mm-hmm. six people will experience depression at some point in their life in the United States. Um, but nobody ever told me. So I just thought I was broken, that I was messed up, that it was, it was a me issue. And no, no, it's like, there's a medical reason that you're feeling this way and and it's not your fault. So what do you think, um, if you know, happened, like you, you said your dad left and you came home and you felt this sense of peace and you could breathe and everything just seemed calm. And, you know, all of that, that fear probably had, had left with him. And then, but then all of a sudden this depression rears up a couple of years later, you were doing well. And then it just seems like kind of out of nowhere. Do you think it's because 
of all of that sort of trauma that was still there that hadn't really been dealt with. And then it just was sort of rising to the surface and manifesting like that. So the average age of onset of depression typically is age 14 or 15. Of course, it can happen much earlier. As you mentioned, I mean, the suicide rate is ages 10 to 24 is the second leading cause of death. I mean, 10 years old, those are our babies, right? Like we, It's yeah. like fifth grade. Um, yeah. But it, we don't know for sure why why depression comes at certain points. We have ideas. We know some 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 ideas on what causes it, but we don't know for sure. And and the part that that drives me to do what I do is the average time from onset of symptoms to treatment is ten years. The average mm. person starts experiencing mental illness. They don't get help for ten. And that's just the average. And that was my story. I did not get any help or receive any help until well into my twenties when um, after I attempted. Mm hmm. Yeah. And so then you got to hope that in that 10 year gap, some never make it long enough. They actually just can't make it until they find that help. So you lose a lot of people along the way, along the journey to help. I, I imagine it's it's rough. I was um, it was interesting when you talked about the voice teacher, um, because, you know, I think that so many times um, adults and a lot and a lot of times teachers people that are in you know uh, an influential position in a young person's life just are clueless about the influence even just you know uh, uh, what may seem like a casual phrase or something that's not you know that um, doesn't seem maybe may important to them but how it can completely um, you know wreck your your mental stability and so talk about that for a second i mean I, I was appalled when i read that he said um i don't want i've got it here i don't want my name on your recital program i think it's best if you find another teacher and tell me about that so i chose to be a music major after high school i loved choir i loved singing i wanted to be a teacher even from an early age and i i picked choir i was like this is what makes my heart sing the most thing in the world and i'm i'm gonna go for it and so i went to luther college it's in northeast iowa they have more music majors than any place in the country it's this huge huge music school um and i got there and i just I got set up with this voice teacher who was supposed to be great and you don't really have a say. And it, it just kind of ran like, well, this is what it's like to be in college now. Like you, you just need to suck it up and you get yelled at. And he would ask me, are you stupid when I would screw up? And my anxiety was off the charts. I mean, I was practicing hours and hours every day and he still would just explode. And um, it, it was, it was horrible. It was horrible. Mm -hmm. And what I, what I didn't realize while it was happening is how much his opinion was being attached to my self-worth and his voice started to become the voice in my head, not just about music, but about everything else. I had put all of my time and energy, my hopes and dreams into this one thing. And he would just constantly beat me up over it. Cause I didn't fit his view. I didn't want to be an opera singer. That's just, I just wanted to teach kids. Like that's what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And that didn't fit his life and what he wanted and whatever his unresolved trauma was, he, he was horrible to me. And, and that being said to anyone listening to this, it's like, I hope you can find the strength to stand up. Cause I, I did a little bit, but I never pushed back. You know, I never yeah. fought. I just accepted the, I mean, truly verbal abuse that I experienced in his room um, and had such a detrimental effect on my mental health as a young adult. 
Yeah. And that's so important um, for people to understand, not only um, people in those positions that are in influential positions um, that we're spending, you know, years, sometimes years of our life with like in school, but, um, but for the the students um, to realize that those people don't necessarily know what they're talking about, just because they happen to be a teacher or an instructor, maybe they're really good at, you know, at teaching about, you know, the topic that they've learned about. But that doesn't mean that they have a perfect life that they know what is best for you. It doesn't mean that their words have any value to you. So it's really, you know, uh, people, uh, students, um, young people understanding that you don't, you don't have to agree with them. 100%. And I think, I, I think our world is starting to finally have this conversation that you know, some, it, it's not worth it if it destroys your mental health. I think of Simone Biles in this last Olympics and she just said, for my mental health, I'm not competing and people lost their minds and they're screaming at her for being un-American. And, and then there's this other group that's like, well, good for you. Um, but ultimately, whatever you're going through in life, if it is destroying your mental health, like me working, taking voice lessons with someone like that, it's not worth it. Find another teacher, find another coach, find another job. <laughs> Get yourself yeah. out of that situation because you're you're not going to be happy um, in something like that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious. Did you uh, did you ever send uh, that that teacher a, a copy of your book? Oh, I thought about it so hard, um, but I did get in. I got it. Uh, our alumni newsletter featured me in my book, and so I just had I'm like, well, maybe maybe he maybe he saw it. I mean, maybe. I just, I don't know, Sam, I'm kind of feeling like you ought to just pop a copy in his mailbox, <laughs> but I mean, why not? Maybe, uh, maybe it would help him deal with his unresolved trauma. <laughs> so, might be doing him a favor. Um, all right. So moving on in college, then you made it to college, but then you said you never drank and then you started drinking in college. Uh, you had promised yourself you wouldn't, but it happened. And then I thought it was interesting. You said at one point you had and it's not unusual kids go to college and kids drink i mean it's 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 pretty much the norm for most but at one point you had a realization you said um with uh you and others you had been partying with one night and you said i realized that everybody was quote desperate and i thought that was an interesting observation that you made and that you know a realization that came to you so what what made you think look around and go, everyone here is desperate. Um, why desperate and desperate for what? Yeah, so alcohol had been such a horrible thing in my life growing up. I was never gonna touch it, didn't touch it my whole freshman year, but it just kind of was, if you wanna have friends, if you didn't go out and you didn't do that, you were weird and you sat at the dorms by yourself. And so, and it, it was fun. And like, all of us wanna be included. Like, like yeah. we have this herd mentality where we want a crew of people who are with us. Um, and as I got out of college, um, I started using that to cope. It changed completely from just like something fun that I did to I'm doing this to, to forget and to escape. And that's that's where it got really dangerous. And so the chapter you're talking about, I'm, I'm out at a bar and I'm intoxicated, but somebody like raises a shot glass and says to forgetting who we are. It was such this light switch moment for me as I'm driving home the next day and I'm like, 
we're, we're desperate to feel alive. Like that's what you're trying. You're trying to create these stories of like, because you wake up the next day and you're like, oh, I can't believe you did that. And can you believe you talked to that girl? And you, you, it's, you're looking for courage to do all these things that you want to feel alive, but you're, it's, it's a bait and switch because you're actually getting the opposite. You're getting the hangover, you're getting the negative effects to your mental health. Um, and, and once I could identify, Oh, I'm trying to feel alive, but this is just the wrong Avenue alcohol. It, it changed how I, my relationship with alcohol and, and I've had a good relationship with alcohol since, um, mm. but it, it truly was, it was a light mm-hmm. switch of, if you're trying to forget who you are, there's much bigger problems than just um, a couple yeah. of things. Yeah. That's so interesting um, that you just had that awareness. It was almost like you were getting a, a message to think deeper about your life. And it, it is kind of sad when you think about it. There's probably a lot of people that feel like, yeah, let me just forget who I am, why I'm here, what I'm doing, my whole situation. And, and that's, yeah, that's a sad place to be. Um, skydiving, you t- touched on it when, when, when we opened. And I thought that that was really interesting. Um, first of all, in Minnesota in January, um, I just got to say, thinking that's a little crazy. <laughs> I mean, the skydiving, and I've done that. I took my whole family skydiving in Arizona. <laughs> but when you said, I think it's actually crazier that you decided to do it in January. So <laughs> what was that all about? So um, I attempted at 23. So I, after college, I moved back home where this trauma had happened a really important relationship from college had ended my life really bottomed out um, to the point where i picked a day i made a plan thankfully in the most courageous moment of my whole life i chose to stay and but i woke up the next day and it wasn't like perfectly healed it still isn't that way i still have had struggles those 10 years ago but following that attempt i came up with this idea and you can say it's from God or the universe or whatever, but it was this idea. I'm going to do one thing every single day that makes my life better or makes the world a better place. And I'm going to take a picture of it. And that was my pledge to myself. And it forced me to take action. I, I had been hiding truly when I was thinking about taking my life. The question was, have you really given life everything you've got? Because if you have, it's okay. You can give up but I'm not sure that you have. I'm not sure you've tried everything you can to heal, to have the life that you want, to pay off the debt that you have, um, to have the career that you want. I, I, I truly had been hiding from my life and not taking these risks. And so I made this pledge and some of the things were just like a coffee with a friend or like trying yoga for the first time or like just going to volunteer, these things that were forcing me to live, to actually get out of my house, to fight this depression and and live. And one of those things was skydiving because we had always talked about it. We'd always joked about it. So we bought a Groupon. And let me just say, skydiving (laughs) is something that you should willingly pay full price for. That's that's (laughs) not an activity that I recommend looking for a deal on. Because if they're offering like 60% (laughs) off, it's not... Yeah, I I would question that. I'd I'd be concerned. (laughs) So my friend Dan, I roped him into it. We drove like an hour south of Minneapolis to this cornfield. We got the building. It was so sketchy. They put these like leather helmets on us that I was like, that's not it's not helping. And uh, they showed us a VHS tape from the 80s, and then we were in an airplane. Like, well, here we go. Oh my God. (laughs) <laughs> well, you lived to tell about it, so I did. Well, like, I'm glad. 
seriously, those moments, I mean, you skydive, it doesn't have to be skydiving, but those moments remind, like they give you this breath of life and this exciting feeling. And, and that thing I was looking for in alcohol, even just, there's another chapter where I do the polar plunge, which is you cut mm -hmm. a hole in the ice in the winter up here and you jump in and like, there's silly things, but like, yeah, it's these reminders to not sit on the sidelines of our lives and, and live them and, and make these right. funny stories and these funny memories. Yeah, they do. They make for great stories. Um, and it does, it does do something to you. It does feed your ability to be courageous. And so when it comes time to do something that's maybe not just more of a frivolous and fun thing, but something where you need to muster some courage and have some metal, you've, it's helped you develop that muscle to be able to do that when there's something that's, you know, serious in your life. So doing those things is, uh, is like training for the tough stuff, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I surprised my husband on his birthday. The kids and I surprised him and took him skydiving. And he he didn't know where we were going. Um, <laughs> we just got up really, you know, it was really early. And I'm like, it's a surprise. And and uh, he was he said on the way there it was like an hour away from where we were in in Phoenix. And he said, I thought maybe we were going on the hot air balloon uh, thing. And uh, then when he saw the sign as we turned down the last road, the big billboard that said skydiving Arizona or whatever it was. And he goes, I was like, oh, OK, we're doing this now. And I said, well, you, you said you always wanted to do it. He goes, yeah, but I, today <laughs> it just was, he didn't have any time to mentally prepare. So, um, yeah, we, we got, I think, much more current information and, and uh, a video and. <laughs> And uh, I watched my whole family bail off the plane, fall out of the sky, you know, in front of me. I was the last one and I questioned myself for a minute, but I thought, well, you know, we probably take more chances just driving to the store every day than we do parachuting. So it was, it was a good experience. <laughs> um, but I think it was that same chapter um, somewhere around there. You said, um, I think God like any great parent wants all of his kids to fall in love with being alive, to live a purpose, to love deeply and to help others however we can. And I really loved that. And, um, I, you know, so many people don't know what their purpose is. They're, they're chasing it. They're looking for it. They don't know how to find it. What do you, I imagine you get people that ask you that, how do you know what that is? How do you find it? What do you say to them? I think, well, I think all of us have a lot of different purposes and a lot of us have different purposes throughout our lives. You know, if, if you're a parent, one of your purposes is to be a good parent or a good son or, you know, a good brother. Mm -hmm. um, finding your purpose for me, I didn't, I didn't want to. <laughs> that's, that's truthfully, I, I wasn't trying to. Um, I mean, I sat down to write this book and this story of the suicide attempt came out that I had never told anyone. But even then I kind of shoved it back down and I worked on the book a little bit behind the scenes. Um, and then I, I've been a teacher the last 12 years, a school teacher. I did become a music teacher. And uh, in a district where I taught, we lost three students, a teacher and a principal in about 18 months. And I watched my community who all took their own life. Um, and I watched my community have no idea what to do or say. I watched publicly, not much changed. Um, and I, each one was just a pounding urge. There's something in my chest that I had to do something to help. And I think we all have that. In fact, I fully believe that we all 
have that. There are things in our world that we see that aren't right, that we can be a part of fixing. And you, it doesn't mean you have to start a nonprofit yourself. There are plenty mm -hmm. of ways that we can get involved. But if you're looking for your purpose, the first questions are, hey, what have I been through that I could help somebody else have an easier time, right? Like I, how can I reach back into my story and be the person that Sam needed when he was 16, when he was 22? That's a really great way to find your purpose. Um, the other one is to just look around the world. Maybe, maybe it's sex trafficking. You know, I, I recently heard there are more people in slavery right now than any time in history. And all of that information is out there. So if you if you're feeling like you don't have a purpose, like we we all have things that we can do and and that matter and that, that give back to the world and especially if you're struggling with mental health one of the best things you can do is volunteer is yeah. to get out there and, and and go for it um but you do you kind of got to look for it you kind of got to go after that to find that purpose um mm -hmm. yeah i don't know they will I, always come find you <laughs> well exactly and i think you're right it's like um it's almost like going you know to a to a buffet and you just sort of want to try a whole bunch of different things until you find, you know, what you really like. And, and it could be something as simple as like you did starting out with just trying something different or new each day. And it could be really, really simple, but just being proactive about taking an action of some sort. And, you know, you may not find your, your, your one big calling right away and that's okay. But I think you're right, though. One of the best ways to to feel um, valuable and to feel uh, to build up your sense of self worth is to actually shift your focus away from your own dilemmas and your own, you know, the things that you're wallowing in, and try in any way, shape, or form to be of service to somebody else. When you shift your focus over, but what can I, what can I do to help this person, even in the smallest way, um, as you, as you talked about, is is actually like some of the best medicine. One hundred percent, and I, I kind of share about that in the book a little bit. I have this journey of like I'm trying to feel more alive, so I'm doing yoga and I'm jumping out of airplanes, and all that's good and fine. And eventually, what I find is some of the happiest and most alive moments of my life are helping other people. It's it's on a trip to Haiti where I'm serving these orphans who have no one, and there's a chapter mm -hmm. in in the book where I I have lunch with a homeless guy, and it is one of the most yeah. meaningful moments of my whole life. So if if you're feeling like maybe you don't feel alive lately, like maybe, maybe you're just looking in, in the wrong places. Yeah. I love that story that you shared. Was it Bill? Was that his name? Yeah. Bill. And you, you, uh, did you, did you ever maintain contact with him or did you see him more after that? It was just it, kind of a I, brief. Yeah, we did for a little bit and then we lost touch. I, I think about him often. I still, when I'm driving downtown, I kind of keep my eyes out for him. Um, but the people yeah. around us can have such a huge impact on us. I mean, he impacted me just as much as I did. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really, really cool story. Um, you attribute uh, part of your, your change and ability to uh, pull the nose up, so to speak, on your life to the realization that almost everyone that you were listening to at some point had no idea how to live, mm -hmm. which I thought was very interesting. Um, so what did that realization mean to you and what did it inspire you to do? So I've had a complicated relationship with the church and with Christianity as so many people have. I've experienced some pretty big 
hurt. But when I, I following my attempt, I, I went back to the church. I had been in the church as a kid and kind of found community there and, and found some support at a time that I really needed it. Um, but through, through that experience, um, I, I started to, I started to realize that the people around me that I was trying to be like, wasn't the life that I wanted to live, right? Like the partying people, they, I had to live by their rules, but that, that didn't make me feel alive. That wasn't the Mm -hmm. life that I wanted to live. So who Mm -hmm. could I look to who, who had the life that I actually wanted to live. And for me at that time, it was Jesus. It was Mm -hmm. this faith. It was this God moment where here's a guy who spent his whole life just loving and living for other people. And when I lived that way, it helped me. It doesn't, it might not help other people. And, uh, uh, but it did, it helped me to focus on something, to find some truth and some beauty in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and it was, it was a changing moment for me. And, and like I said before, it's also had came with its challenges and, um, sure. as well. yeah, yeah. Well, our, our, our life journey is kind of like a never ending process, right? You, you, you never actually you never actually get to there's very few people i should say that complete all there is to learn about being a human in one lifetime so you know if if you're trying to evolve to become the best version of yourself to become the best human you can be it's a lifelong journey it never ends and i think uh you know, I think when you said, you know, you were trying to, uh, you decided to start being a little more like Jesus. I mean, that's a pretty great teacher, pretty great mentor, right, to uh, to follow. Um, I really like that. And so in your, um, in your experience, does it, does it seem like fewer people have a relationship with God or, you know, higher power, whatever they want to call it of some sort? Um, or does it, and, and maybe fewer people have been um, veering away from any kind of spiritual relationship or trying to develop one. Um, do you think that that having, not having that kind of foundation to lean into could play a role in de- rising depression rates? What's your experience? So when I teach about depression, I really am teaching, there are three unique battles that you're fighting. You're fighting a physical battle, what's happening in your actual body, chemicals in your brain and how you're treating your body, exercise, sleep, uh, nutrition. So many of these things contribute to our mental health. There's a Mm -hmm. mental side of depression, trauma we've been through, as you mentioned before, our self-talk, how we talk to ourselves. Therapy, I mentioned, is part of that. Our boundaries, how we let people treat us, you know, our relationships, a ton of that is very mental. And I fully believe there is a spiritual side that doesn't have to be religion, but it's these mm-hmm. questions like, why am I here? This purpose discussion that we're having, when do I feel connected to something outside of myself? And even through my faith journey, I have always felt more connected to God in nature, outside, not inside a church building, sitting in a meeting, reading a book, but out living an adventure, out under the stars, out serving people in the world. That is my connection to to God and to faith. But I I think people are interested. I don't think I don't think people are not interested in in asking those big questions. Where did we come from? Is there God? 
you know, is love, like love, a lot of people say love is becoming the religion. And, and I think that actually is still God speaking through them. Mm-hmm. I think people are burnt out on religion and the politics of it all. And some yeah. of the things I've experienced, I, I had a pastor tell me you're a source of darkness, that it's one of the hardest days of my, my life, even through everything I've been through. So, mm. so the trauma of religion is a part of this story, but I do, I believe that spirituality is a part of mental health. Um, and if it's something people listening haven't explored, maybe, maybe it's just an opening to ask yourself some of those questions and to read about some things, um, outside of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Just be open, consider things, be willing to think about those things on, on a deeper level. It's important. One of, my, one of my favorite reviews of my book comes from an atheist. And she said, everyone should read this book. It's not preachy. It's not. And because it is, it is a book where I'm asking some of those questions, even of myself. Right. Right. Yep. So what did you mean uh, when you said, uh, I don't have the first part of the quote, but it, it, it ends with well-intended people trying to make a reckless God palatable for the comfort seeking masses. what do you mean by that? Um, my experiences with church. So following the attempt, I threw myself into this pretty big church outside of Minneapolis. I was there five, six days a week. Sometimes I did everything. I was a Sunday school teacher. I was part of the youth group. I played on the worship team. I went to group book study things. I did things on the weekends. I've all, I was, I lived and breathed this church and every book, Every six months or so, I, I would burn out and I would come to this place and just ask us, what, what are we doing here? What are we do? What, what are we doing? Who are we actually helping? Who, I mean, I keep reading this Bible book and like the book of James is talking about how if you, if you love God, you take action and you help the poor and you clothe them and you feed them. And I looked at this church with a million dollar budget and fancy lights. And I kept just, I, something about it never sat with me. It just never felt right. And um, through my own questioning, I just felt like Mm. you have this big God who's done these incredible things. Jesus lost his life trying to help people. And we're sitting inside movie theater seats with fancy lights um, and and talking about, you know, God's cool and God loves people. And I, I just felt like God for me, as I said before, was out in the world doing the actual actions helping the people around and not just sitting inside of a fancy building. And that's my journey and churches help people. And I'm not, I'm not here to bash church in any means. I, I, I think church is a, a good thing in our world ultimately, but, but for me, I think we kind of lost some of the grandeur and some of the message and, and watered it down to what felt comfortable and grab your Starbucks and watch this little video and see you next Sunday. Mm, right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems like, um, if you're not applying all of the messages and the teachings out in the world to your life and and demonstrating out in the world, um, it's sort of, uh, it's, what's the point? I mean, unless it's just to check that box, did that onto the next thing, yeah. So I like, um, I've looked through and, and there's, uh, you have a lot of great posts on Instagram. Um, and I think uh, a lot of people um, don't know what to do with people in their life that they think are, I don't like to use this word toxic. Um, I think it's, I think it 
can be a mistake to uh, refer to people as toxic. Um, because sometimes those people that you consider toxic or the worst people, you know, in your life are the ones that are um, challenging, challenging you to become the better person that you can be. So if you, you know what I mean? Um, so there's a fine line there, but one of the, your posts was five tips for dealing with the worst people in your life. Um, do you remember what they were? Do you want to talk about some of those? Because we do have a lot of people that maybe we can't get away from that. Maybe they're family members or coworkers or something. And, and you just, you know, you got to deal with it. And if you're already a little bit on the edge, you know, having some anxiety and depression, what do you tell those people to do? It, it is a tongue in cheek video. I mean, step, <laughs> step four is to Google tacos near me and go find tacos, but yeah. Ultimately, and I completely agree. I don't think we should just cut off anybody we disagree with. I don't, I don't think that's the answer, but I think social media has, has changed some things for us where we try to stay connected with every person we have ever met, right? It's like, you've got 2000 people on Facebook that you haven't talked to in 20 years. And I don't think our brains are designed that way. I don't think we're meant to see every time anyone gets engaged that we've ever met. And so mm -hmm. I mean, truthfully, the, the overarching message is it's okay to let people go and to unfollow them. And if they yeah. are, as we were talking about before, having an ongoing negative effect on your mental health, you don't have mm -hmm. to feel guilty about, about letting some of those people go. And, right. and I had to go on a self selfless journey. You know, I, in all this church, it's be selfless at all times, be selfless but actually I am my best self when I, I can put myself first a little bit and, and care for my own mind and my own body. And then I have mm -hmm. such much more capacity to love deeper and love more fully the people that I choose to kind of let in. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really great point. And it is people, um, you don't have to continually maintain every relationship or acquaintance that has come to you in your life. That's a lot of it's a lot of work. That's a lot of resources going out and it's easy to get depleted and not focus on just, you know, your own health and well-being. And sometimes we just outgrow. Not everybody's a lifetime assignment. Not everybody is there to remain in your life, you know, until you die. So you just outgrow people and that's okay. It's all right. Absolutely, absolutely healthy. Yeah. So tell me about the ways that struggling with mental illness made your life better hmm. yeah, because i think a lot of yeah i think a lot of people struggling would be like oh yes please share that how you know if i'm in the throes of it what's the light at the end of the tunnel for me how is this going to make my life better how can it there's there's a fine line you have to be you have to be at a place of self-reflection where you can accept that some of the harder things in your life have maybe improved have maybe made things a little bit better and i mean i've been battling depression now for almost 20 years so it's been a while so it's i've, I've had some time to reflect and i enjoy that process but lately i just have been thinking about okay this thing was pretty awful and has has led to some really challenging things but you know it has taught me to appreciate the good days as i mentioned before i mean ever since my attempt a couple times a year i hear this little whisper of like you made it for this, or you almost missed this. I mean, it just happened to me a couple months ago. I just had my niece and my nephew, they're seven and four over the pool at my condo and we're swimming and my mom and sister are laughing. And it was just, 
an average Sunday. And it was just this moment where I said, you, you almost missed this, right? And it mm -hmm. truly has been this phrase that has kind of saved my life because it keeps reminding me of the things that are, that are most important. It certainly has taught me more empathy um, for anyone. I mean, if you have ever felt how horrible it is to not want to be alive, it definitely will deepen your understanding of, of just how, how much some people struggle and, and how, how low that life can get. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what are some, um, signs that may not be very obvious or apparent to people that, that are, you know, have been trying to work through it, um, through a depression, um, or a mental illness, what are some signs that, that you're healing? Yeah, this is, this is a tricky one because, so I, I did three rounds of therapy and I hated it. I hated talk therapy. I do not want to pay someone money to go and talk about the worst days of my life every week. I hated it, but it truly, truly helped, um, in, in, in a lot of ways, but through that process, I mean, the first two times I kind of quit pretty quick. And then the third time, finally, I was like, okay, I'm committing to this for a year. Um, and, and through that, I learned a couple of things first. And, and the reason I quit the first couple of times is things actually got worse before they got better. Partly, um, I, I had shoved things down for so long that I didn't want to deal with and didn't want to talk about when you start going through some therapy, you kind of have to go there and those things have to come back up. And it's kind of like a bruise. It hurts when you rub it, right? It's like, it hurts more, but then slowly it actually helps it heal. It's healing. Yeah. And that's, that was part of the therapy for me. I mean, another part of it, of a, an unobvious sign of healing was that I started to feel things more deeply again. I mean, part of depression for me was kind of this numb. A lot of people report when they're in the throes of depression, they don't feel anything at all. And mm -hmm. that that's similar to me. And so when I, when you started coming out of that, I kind of was going back to some of these highs and lows. And that actually was a good thing. It meant that my body was, was being more, aware and open to the things around. And I wasn't in, um, survival mode. Yeah. Uh, my circle also got a little smaller when I started respecting myself and learning about how I wanted people to treat me. Uh, I also, I lost some people as I went through that healing journey, Ken, as we were just talking about. So that also sometimes can be a sign, you know, I, I, mm -hmm. I didn't keep in touch with those people I had been partying with because part of my growth was that that, that wasn't who I wanted to be anymore. Um, and that, that actually is a good sign of healing too. Yeah. So basically, you know, if you're on this healing journey, and you're feeling like, oh my God, things are things are worse than ever. Don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing or that you're going backwards. It may be the sign that you are in the throes of just you're you're digging all this stuff up that you didn't want to feel before, and you're expressing it. So you can literally get rid of it because by not ever expressing with it, dealing with it, you can't really heal from it. You And therefore you have to do things to remain kind of numb in order to keep it suppressed, right? Uh, so yeah, that's a really good point. You're gonna have to just allow yourself to, um, to let it come up, to let it rise up, to express it, to get it out, because that's the best way to unload it so that you can heal and move forward. Um, and, and that would be a scary thing for a lot of people because the whole reason you've suppressed it in the first place is because you don't want to feel those 
you know, terribly uncomfortable feelings. So that would take some bravery and some courage to say, I'm, I'm willing to do this because I know it's going to get me to the other side of it. That would be hard. It wasn't instant for me. Even after I got through that year of therapy and I quit, I was not in a great place. Even, you know, healing is not linear. It's not a perfect, just every day gets better. And then you're healed and you never experience it again. It's, it's, there's some more roller coaster type moments. And I've had, I've been suicidal since, but you know, I, I have more tools now. And that's, that's all you're doing in the end is you're adding to that toolbox, you know, a therapist can help you help you get through those worst moments and help you identify when you're slipping back and, and truly just keep moving forward every day, trying one more thing, getting one more thing done and just, just trying to be more alive each day. Yeah. Well, I think your idea, just circle back uh, around to this for a minute, because I think it's really so good is to, you said, I'm going to commit to trying something, no matter how small, new or different each day, was it each day for a year? I kept it up for, yeah, over five months. Um, and, and it can be little things too. It can be organizing a closet, you know, all those things that we walk past every day and, and cause we, we beat ourselves up for it can be, it can be very small or it can be very big. Um, and, and truly the most important part of it is taking that picture because our brains lie to us. You know, we don't have to believe everything we think. And so, and I've done this experiment several times since when I've started slipping or, or you can do it with your business. If you feel stuck in your business, it's just a way to document the progress you are making, celebrate the wins that you are having and just take some action. So you don't feel stuck and, and sad about where you're at. Yeah, that's so important taking some action and it doesn't have to be a big thing. You're right. Just cleaning out a closet or a drawer, but, um, documenting it is so can be so important because we have a tendency to forget, um, progress that we make. I I deal with that all the time with clients that I work with. And so, you know, we, 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 I have a form that they fill out every session that talks about the, you know, the challenges, the progress, you know, all, you know, what they did, what their action steps were, because then they're always surprised after, you know, several months or six months or a year, I go, do you remember when, and I go back to the earlier ones and then compare that to where they are now. And they're just like blown away because they forgot. They just, they're in, they're in the now and they're here and we just forget, uh, it's easy to forget about all of where you began in your journey and how all of those little tiny steps have added up to a complete, you know, 180 change in your life. So it's a, it's a wonderful way to measure results and it's a wonderful, um, I think the act of doing that helps a person build momentum and it's really important to get momentum going. So just the one tiny thing, like you said, having coffee with a friend or trying something, a yoga class or whatever it is, anything. Um, yeah. Doing something productive around your house. Well, you know, we are meant We're you know, we are, we're human beings. We're, we're these wonderful spiritual beings having this amazing, you know, experience on, on the planet. But we're, uh, in, in essence, we're, we're here to create, which means we're here to do things. And creating means you're doing, right? You're doing something. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if you're sitting there folding up, you know, little squares of paper making origami. You're, you know, you're creating, you're doing something, or you're cooking, or you're helping someone. It can be, the scale is endless. And so I think, you know, 
doing nothing is only going to make you feel like you're spiraling in the wrong direction. So doing something and then documenting it like you did and committing to doing something for a period of time is such a simple and um, it's not a big ask of yourself. It's not overwhelming, but it's effective. I love, I really, really love that. Um, You're the first person that I've talked to that's mentioned that within the context of this um, particular topic. And I just think it's really, it's so simple, but I think it's really brilliant. So I love that. Um, What, you have a going rogue story for me? I absolutely do. Um, I've got quite a bit, other than the skydiving and the going to Africa. (laughs) But um, the first thing that came to mind actually is very unexpected. And that was when when I started to share the story of my suicide attempt. So I was still teaching. This was about five, six years ago now when I, I was just starting Recklessly Alive. Um, and we, we filmed a video. So we filmed a three minute video, um, out in some cornfields and and around Minneapolis of the story of my attempt. And that was just the first, I didn't want to do it. Even as we're filming it, I kept screwing up my lines and I did not want anyone to know about this story and the worst day of my life. But I just was like, I, I have to do something and I guess we're going to do this. And so we put out the video, it got a really great reaction. It was like 300,000 views in a couple of weeks and, and made a really big splash in my home community. I, hundreds of people were sharing this video. Um, and immediately I had a parent of one of my students call my boss, say that I was mentally unstable, that I shouldn't be in the classroom. It was highly suggested to me that I shut down all my social media and make it private, um, that I shouldn't be talking about this. And after that meeting, I was walking back to my classroom. I was feeling very defeated. Uh, like the, my, that voice teacher voice was like, see, every time you try to do something, there's, why would you even try this? And then I just stopped. And I said, this man is the reason that I have to wake up tomorrow and keep fighting for this. Because this man who can't even watch a story from seven years ago of me attempting and now doing great being known in my community as an incredible teacher, if he can't even accept me talking about that, imagine what that stigma does to his coworkers, to his kids, to his family. Uh, I, I have This man has to be the reason that I keep fighting. And I think we have made some great progress. I mean, six years ago when we started doing speaking events, we had events, they would, spaces, they wouldn't let us pay to rent their space to have a suicide prevention event because they didn't want suicide on their anything. And we have come a long way in that, but we have, we have a long way to go to fight to fight this mindset that mental health isn't real, that it's not that it's not an illness in any means, um, and that uh, that it's okay to talk about and it's okay to open up and it's it's okay not to be okay. As cliche as that has become, um, we still have a lot of of stigma to fight. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is curious why there's such resistance around accepting that mental health is part of your overall health. I mean, you know, it's odd with all of the information out there um, and, you know, the the science and, and everything that it's very clear that the things that you are thinking about, um, the thoughts that you think, the thoughts you dwell on, the beliefs you have, 
um, create a physical reaction in your body. You're, you're creating chemicals that are, you know, part of whatever those thoughts are. And so depending on what you're thinking, especially what you are thinking on a regular basis, the negative self-talk and, you know, um, agreeing or allowing the harmful, hurtful, terrible words of another person to take root in your psyche, those um, all create, you know, chemicals in your body that then express physically. Um, so it's odd that there are so many people that still are not connecting those dots or don't believe that those dots are connected. They, it's impossible for them to be separated. We, we just, as humans, you know, we're, we're chemical making machines. We, we have this biochemistry. And, uh, if you understand that you really have such a, um, a one, uh, it's another great, very effective and probably one of the most powerful tools to have in your tool bag is to understand that what you are constantly thinking and dwelling on can either pull you out of something and shift you into a whole different mindset which will obviously affect your your state of being your life or it can take you you know down the deep dark passages that are very difficult to get out of so um i just i think yeah it needs to be talked about and i think your mission is amazing and you know being being willing to go around and share your story thank god for people like you sam really well thank you and when, when i started the work when i read that no study has found that talking about suicide makes it any more likely that someone will attempt, but makes it much more likely they'll seek help. It was on. That was the moment where I was like, okay, talking about this is never going to make it worse. So we don't have to be afraid to talk about it. Everyone should be talking about it in your family, in your classrooms, in your churches. We, we just have to be more open and more talking about it. And I can lead that charge. It's scary and it's vulnerable, but I, I can lead that charge because it's not doing any harm. In fact, it's, it can help a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, true to put a period at the end of your going rogue story. Uh, so the value of going rogue for you was that you decided to it could it would have been easy for you to go back into your shell it would have been easy for you to not write um not defend yourself but rise up above that that terrible criticism and and just go for it anyway so that was your rogue move do i understand that right absolutely and i i think when you are going rogue in your life no matter what that means to you you're gonna come up against some opposition. Every time I've tried to do something big and different, even healthy in my life, there have always been people coming against it. And that doesn't mean you're on the wrong track. In fact, that might mean you're on the right track. Mm -hmm. Excellent point. Excellent point. Um, and, uh, and I think again, to taking this so seriously, because I, I don't remember when I was, uh, even 20, even when my kids who are in their uh, mid thirties, even when they were uh, young, I, you did not hear about young people and children committing suicide. It's, it's so insanely alarming right now that that is happening. It's heartbreaking. And, um, and so to not take this ment mental health um, seriously, we're doing such a great disservice to our young people who are the future. Um, I just, I just love that you're out there and you're doing it. And, um, and I'm sure you're going to have a huge impact on a lot of people's lives. I'm sure you already have. 
Sam, where can people find out more about you and, and your book and your sites and everything? Absolutely. I'm Sam Eaton. Recklesslyalive.com is our website where you can find information about my story as well as my speaking. We do events all over the U.S. So if anybody listening is thinking, gosh, I don't I want to help, but I don't know what to do. Maybe this is part of my purpose. One of the easiest things you can do is just bring us in, bring me in to speak, you know, mm -hmm. get us connected to a school, a university somewhere where we can host this event and help your community learn how to talk about this stuff. Um, I am at Recklessly Alive on Instagram and TikTok, where I post every day about um, self-love, self-care, and mental health. Would love to connect with people there. The book, also called Recklessly Alive, we're all on brand. It's available on Amazon, um, and I'm really, really proud of it. Good. You should be. And we will put those uh, uh, links in the show notes as well, so it's easy for people to find you. So that is going to be a wrap for today. Sam, thank you again for sharing so much invaluable information and your journey through what um, were obviously some very challenging years. Uh, I think, again, you've been uh, a light for a lot of people who are struggling, and I, I commend you for making this your mission. So if... Uh, if you or somebody that you know is wrestling with suicidal thoughts, just know that it is possible to heal, uh, to recognize your worth, and know that you are a very valuable member of the human race. There is a joyful life waiting for you. So make sure to check out Sam's book, Recklessly Alive, and his social media for daily inspiration. Uh, he's got some really great stuff on there. And uh, if you want to find out what Private Coaching With Me is all about, just head on over to lauribischoff.com. Please make sure to subscribe, share the show, and spread all of this good shift around. And if you find value in it, then uh, just take a moment, give us a, a rating and a review. Those reviews really do help inspire other people to listen to all of the great shift being shared here. So until next week, stay feisty, my friends. Stay emotionally healthy by learning how to mind your mind and go make some epic shift happen in your lives. You too, Gary Vee.